Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the greatest show on surf. I'm talking, of course, about Fin It to Win It, the weekly Dolphins podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Sports. I am your host, Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network, senior draft analyst, and also the managing editor of USA Today's DolphinsWire.com. And we are here today to break down week two of free agency for the Miami Dolphins. A lot of things in the news, a lot of happenings, but not necessarily on the free agent market. The Dolphins signings have been limited, to say the least. They signed Dwayne Allen, a free agent signee from the New England Patriots, Eric Rowe, a corner free agent signee from the New England Patriots. And then we had to play the long waiting game, trying to find who was going to be next to be added to this roster. And the criteria for being a free agent signee for the Miami Dolphins has not changed. It's really come down to the following. Are you a young player with something to prove Or are you a grizzled veteran who is going to come cheap because you are looking to extend your playing career? Dwayne Allen falls into the latter. Eric Rowe falls into the former. So too does Chris Reed, formerly of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who has signed on with the Miami Dolphins for a chance to play. And this was something that he talked about when he did his first interview with John Kajemi and the Miami Dolphins, talking about the opportunity to play being a big reason why he signed with the Dolphins. And you look at the Dolphins and their roster, and Laramie Tunsil is literally the only established piece of the offensive line. And it makes sense why Reed, who spent his career as a utility offensive lineman with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who's played four years in Jacksonville, had a year on the practice squad, played guard, played center, now has the chance to come into Miami and compete for a starting job. That makes all the sense in the world. And his offensive line coach here in Miami is the same offensive line coach he's had for the last two years in Jacksonville. So there's some dots to connect here, and I think that's that's what you'll see a lot with this foundational year for the Dolphins. It's guys who have a connection in some way, shape, or form to the Dolphins and their coaching staff. And Reed, being a player who has positional flexibility, I think he's going to play that to his advantage as he looks to find a way in the the starting lineup. And even if he does not secure, whether it's right guard, left guard, 
center, depending on what they do with Daniel Kilgore, having a player that has played all of those positions at their disposal, Reed is going to start games for the Dolphins this year. It's inevitable. You just don't get 16 games of the same five guys up front, especially the Dolphins. The Dolphins haven't had that kind of stability up front for them in forever. So Chris Reed, he talked about the opportunity to play being a big reason why he signed a deal with the Dolphins in the first place. Whether or not that comes week one is still to be determined. But he will get an opportunity to play for the Miami Dolphins because that the Dolphins just do not have the depth. And you can't turn over that much personnel up front immediately. Obviously, the big signing for the Dolphins, was Brian Fitzpatrick since the last time we talked. The last time we talked was Saturday when the Dolphins traded Ryan Tannehill to the Tennessee Titans for a fourth-round pick in 2020, a sixth- and a seventh-round pick swap, and the Dolphins giving $5 million. Just take the money, just get him out of here. That's really, honestly, what they did. It's the same thing that they're doing with Robert Quinn. And uh, we'll, we'll get into Robert Quinn and his situation momentarily. But the Dolphins paid a $1.1 million roster bonus to Robert Quinn, knowing full well he's not going to be on the roster yet here. And Chris Greer and his willingness to kind of invest money in this capacity is a little bit of a game changer. This hasn't been a, a, an area that the Dolphins have been aggressive in the past. I think the last time we saw something of this magnitude was when the Texans and Browns orchestrated the trade of uh, Brock Osweiler. And there was money exchanged to the team that was taking Osweiler just to get him off their hands. That's unheard of in NFL capacities, and yet we've seen it with Ryan Tannehill, $5 million dollars. We're going to see it with Robert Quinn, the $1.1 million roster bonus, in addition to whatever capacity of their 2019 salary that the Dolphins are going to pay to have Robert Quinn off the books. This is a credit to Chris Greer for being creative, understanding that his owner and Stephen Ross is an owner that's willing to spend cash capital, is willing to spend money to get a better product on the field. But doing it in a non-traditional sense, when Mike Tannenbaum was running the show, this team was super aggressive with signing free agents and handing over a substantial amount of money. Not anymore. Not with Chris Greer at the helm. But they're still spending money. They're just getting rid of the bad contracts, which is such a huge deviation for them, a step in the right direction, and should not be overlooked. But I digress. Because we're talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick. And specifically, I want to talk about a couple dynamics of Ryan Fitzpatrick and his addition to the roster and what it should mean for the Dolphins and their potential quote-unquote tank. Let's start with Fitzpatrick and why his contract is friendly for the Miami Dolphins. Barry Jackson got his hands on the Dolphins contract. For those of you who are unfamiliar, highly recommend Barry. 
uh, Barry is of the Miami Herald. And Barry got his hands on the, on the contract for Ryan Fitzpatrick. And what he discovered was that the Dolphins guaranteed $1.5 million of a base salary of $5.5 million for the year 2020. So the Dolphins realistically could move on from Ryan Fitzpatrick and his contract, a two-year $11 million contract with incentives added on top of that after one year, no questions asked, which is huge for the Dolphins. I think this is a good illustration of the discrepancies between the contract conversation with Ryan Fitzpatrick and the contract conversation with Teddy Bridgewater, who the Dolphins at this time last week were flirting with. They brought him in for a team visit. They had him to the facility, and it was reported there afterwards that Bridgewater wanted, quote, life-changing money. He wanted $16 million as a base salary and incentives on top of that to leave New Orleans. First of all, fuck out of here, Teddy. Ain't no way Miami's paying you that kind of money. Teddy Bridgewater, who's had one start in three years, versus some of the veteran options that are out there, are Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's willing to sign a two-year, $11 million contract with $1.5 million guaranteed in 2020. This is a beautiful job of the Dolphins. Bring in the guy who can have some competency, will allow you to evaluate your offensive talent. But with all due respect to Ryan, is not going to be a player that transcends the talent around him. And make no mistake, Kenny Stills, Jakeem Grant, Devontae Parker, Mike Gusecki, this is not the same cast that he had in 2018 with Deshaun Jackson, O.J. Howard, and Mike Evans. Okay, so if your expectation is Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to come in here and light the world afire and win this team too many football games where they're out of striking distance for a 2020 quarterback, I'd kindly ask you to reconsider your perception of the Dolphins roster, okay? Team's probably going to have three or four new starters on the offensive line. Team's going to have Kenny Stills, who is a very underrated receiver in the NFL. Jakeem Grant, who's a fun talent, but limited. Albert Wilson, coming off a significant injury. Devontae Parker, who has yet to do anything but disappoint us in general. And Mike Isecki, who was overdrafted based on an astronomical combine and not drafted on his film at his disposal. If you're expecting Ryan Fitzpatrick to come in here in these conditions and elevate the play of this team and this offense so badly that they are not in a position to draft a quarterback in 2020, you guys need a reality check, and I'm here to give it to you. Okay? And no matter what happens, 
the Dolphins are going to be in position to draft a quarterback in 2020. That's not to say their quarterback might not be this year, where Dwayne Haskins or Drew Locke may fall into their laps with a 13th overall pick. Or maybe the asking price to trade up is cheap, and the Dolphins are able to jump up a handful of spots, make a play, go out and get a quarterback that they really like. They've had private workouts with both Haskins and Drew Locke. Not sure what their status is with Kyler Murray, but Kyler Murray's going to be out there striking distance anyway. Locke, to me, does more for the Dolphins than Haskins does. But if you look to 2020, to attack of Viola, Justin Herbert, and you think about the teams that need a quarterback, that absolutely positively need a quarterback right now. This is a unique situation across the NFL. Thinking about the teams that are invested in a quarterback, the teams that are going to need a quarterback, you could realistically say the teams that need a quarterback and should and could be picking high to start the 2020 draft are the Dolphins, the Giants, the Raiders, the Bengals, the Redskins, and maybe Arizona if they're stupid. If they're positively stupid and decide they want to give up on Josh Rosen. But if they give up on Josh Rosen, Rosen goes into the player pool. If the Raiders were to make a play on a quarterback, Derek Carr gets put in the player pool. So you've got maybe five teams. Maybe six teams that need a quarterback. And you've got possibly five, four or five openings. But then you think about Kyler Murray's in this year's draft class. Dwayne Haskins is in in this year's draft class. Drew Locke is in this year's draft class. Daniel Jones is in this year's draft class. Even if only three of those go to teams that need a quarterback this year or next year. The Dolphins' competition in 2020 is two or three teams. And I'm sorry, but Ryan Fitzpatrick is not going to perform at a level that is going to take you out of striking distance, especially if you continue to allocate draft capital at the pace that you have been for 2020. What does this come down to? A trade down in 2019. Unless the Dolphins have a quarterback that they are absolutely in love with, with the value of the 13th overall selection in 2019, this team should be trading down. You can trade from 13 to the late 20s, pick up an extra first-round pick, and you can potentially still have a very good offensive lineman, defensive lineman on the board for you to pick in the 2019 NFL Draft class. And you're adding the extra first-round talent at a bare minimum. The team has two threes in 2020, thanks to Juwan James, two fours already, thanks to the Ryan Tannehill trade, two fives already, thanks to the Cameron Wake departure and free agency and the comp pick that's to come. They still have to trade Robert Quinn. Reports are they're asking for a 2024 for that as well, which would give them three fourth-round picks in 2020. A trade down and a Robert Quinn trade could yield this team two ones, a two, two threes, three fours, and two fives. 
Listen, you can give away the entire draft class and the following year's one. If you have a guy that you absolutely, positively love, whether that's Tua Tagovailoa, Justin Herbert, Jake Fromm, you better hope not, I digress. The Dolphins are building this thing right, and Ryan Fitzpatrick and his presence on this roster is not going to do any detrimental harm to this team as they continue to build for the future. Before we continue any further on the podcast, I do want to talk to each and every one of you about today's sponsor. The first weekend of the NCAA tournament is the greatest betting event of the year. Whether you like filling out a bracket, picking a national champion, predicting first-round upsets, or all of the above, MyBookie is the perfect home for your March Madness fun. Will Zion Williamson and his teammates cement their legacy at Duke with a title? Can Virginia get past its losses to a 16 seed last year? And can Kentucky get back to the Final Four? If you know the answers, or even if you don't, MyBookie is the place to get in on the action. They have something for everyone, even you, multiple bracket guy. MyBookie has been in business for years. Their goal is to give you the best customer service in the business. And the best part is they pay out fast when you win. I'm talking 48 hours. Bet with the best, then kick back and enjoy March Madness while you watch your picks cash. Deposit with MyBookie today with promo code BLUEWIRE for a 50% sign-up bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. With MyBookie, you pay, you win, you get paid. But enough about the future. Let's talk about the past. Because there have been a few interesting comments that have come out from the Sun Sentinel's Omar Kelly discussing the Miami Dolphins and the dynamics of the Dolphins in 2018 that I think are worth mentioning because he talks a, he he had talked on the Sun Sentinel's uh, video report of the Dolphins and talked about a moment in time that was the catalyst for this roster and this team packing their stuff in, and giving up on Adam Gase and Ryan Tannehill. Omar Kelly talked about how the Tannehill produced a toxic environment for the Dolphins, mentioning that the moment you criticized him, it was speculated on whether or not you were on the next train out of Miami. Because Tannehill in place, as the starter of this team, was viewed at as untouchable. The team never brought in any competition for Tannehill, and the coaching staffs in place never provided any active criticism for Ryan Tannehill relative to his peers, despite the fact that Ryan was a, best word to put it, is probably limited starting quarterback in the NFL. This is a direct quote from Omar Kelly talking about Ryan Tannehill. From what I'm told by players inside the organization, at the end of the season when everybody, including their star players, were criticized by Coach Adam Gase, 
And Ryan Tannehill never got criticized. Not even that Colts game. Never got criticized. They were done. If playing and winning games meant bringing back Adam Gase, and Adam Gase would bring back Ryan Tannehill, they didn't want any part of that situation. For those of you who unfortunately need your memories jogged on the Colts game, Kenyon Drake had a rushing touchdown with 13 minutes left in the football game to put the Dolphins up 10 points. The Colts and the Dolphins were both 5-5 five and five at the time. Kenyon Drake rushed in a touchdown from 14 yards out to put the Dolphins up 24-14. The Dolphins would ultimately lose this game in Indianapolis 27-24. After that rushing touchdown by Drake, the Dolphins would touch the ball twice. They held the ball for 2 minutes and 30 seconds and had negative 1 yard of total offense. In a game that they had led at one point in the fourth quarter by 10 points. It's not acceptable. Especially the play call exchange inside the 10-yard line. With the Dolphins in a tied game against the Colts. In the final minutes. No effort to win the football game whatsoever. Illustrated very little faith in Ryan Tannehill. And the end result was the Dolphins obviously lost the football game. And it does go quite a bit talking about the toxic culture in Miami. Where Ryan never caught any blame for the fact that the team clearly, clearly needed to stay aggressive and would not stay aggressive. Adam Gase did not trust Ryan Tannehill to win a football game in late November a 5 and 5 football team and the team crumbled. The team won two games their next two games against the Bills in a game that they should have lost, but Josh Allen's final throw harmlessly fell to the ground to a wide open Charles Clay who dove for the ball in the end zone on the final play of the game. And then of course the Miami Miracle the next week which the Dolphins stole a victory against the Patriots. So the Dolphins went from 5-6 and six with this crippling loss to the Colts to 7-6 and six, and then subsequently 7-9, and nine, losing their final three games. The only time the Dolphins logged over 200 passing yards in their final five games after that Colts loss was the Miami Miracle game in which they logged 223 passing yards and 69 of those came on the final play of the game, which involved multiple laterals. The passing offense was trash. So yes, the Dolphins won two games after which the point in which Omar Kelly pointed to as the death blow for Adam Gase and Ryan Tannehill. But they did not have any business winning either one of those football games. Does that make those wins any less substantial, any less sweet? No, I don't think so. Because the Dolphins are setting themselves up primarily for flexibility more than anything else. You could point to if they lost both of those games, and they lost the Chicago game, 
They're four and twelve. They're picking inside the top five. They potentially have action with Kyler Murray. He's not that caliber of a player for me personally. But they have set up private workouts with Dwayne Haskins and Drew Locke. And I think if one of them is on the board at 13, Miami would have a dilemma on their hands because they do want to build for the future, and I'm sure that they like Drew Locke and Dwayne Haskins. They have positive qualities as pro passers. But are they the type of quarterback that you want to build around? This is what you saw the Cleveland Browns do when they had some quarterbacks come out that they liked but they didn't love. They choose to pass on him. And then they get Baker Mayfield. The unfortunate reality is is the Dolphins' turnaround is not going to be a one-year affair. If your expectation is that it's going to be a one-year affair, you've got a rude awakening coming because this Dolphins team is multiple seasons of overwork ahead of them away from being a competitive franchise. The final thing I want to leave you with is something that you should be looking for in your next quarterback, and I again have to tip my cap to Omar Kelly who brought this up. Omar Kelly was talking about the things that he learned from Ryan Tannehill over the course of Tannehill's career with the Dolphins. And he mentioned that third downs was an area that he was going to prioritize in evaluating all quarterbacks from here on out. And he said this about Tannehill. When it came to thirds downs throughout his career, Ryan Tannehill was one of the NFL's worst third down quarterbacks his entire career. To me right now, that's the number one metric that I will ever evaluate for the rest of my life on how quarterbacks perform. Tannehill was good to average in a lot of areas of his game. But third down, as Omar Kelly points out, is not one of those things. Tannehill's career passer rating on third down is 74.9 with a completion percentage of 57.4. Those numbers are significantly smaller than first and second down. When you extrapolate third and 10 or longer Ryan Tannehill's passer rating was 52.2. And in seven years with the Miami Dolphins, over 267 pass attempts, Ryan Tannehill never threw a touchdown on third and 10 or longer. That is an astronomical number and a very detrimental number to Ryan Tannehill and his career with the Dolphins. The team converted 37 first downs on 267 pass attempts. I want to repeat that one more time. 37 first downs over seven years and 267 pass attempts on third down and 10 or more yards to go. That's less than 14% of those pass attempts and opportunities, win for first downs. That number is unacceptable. Some of the other third and 10 plus conversion rates of prominent quarterbacks over the course of their entire careers, not just the last seven years. Ben Roethlisberger is almost 32%. Tom Brady is 27. Drew Brees, 20 
9.4 and Matt Ryan 28.6. All of these guys have at least twice the conversion percentage of third and 10 plus pass attempts to Ryan Daniel. An embarrassing, embarrassingly bad number that you don't get the full context on until you realize what quarterbacks across the rest of the league are able to do in those situations. So Omar's right. If you're looking for the next measure of a quarterback, a potential franchise quarterback in Miami, look at third downs. Look at the money down. Look at the high-pressure situation. If you're able to find a quarterback that can complete approximately one out of four to one out of three pass attempts of third and ten plus and keep the offense on the field, that's a huge win because that's not something Miami's had experience with for at least a decade. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode of Fin It to Win It, sponsored by mybookie.com and hosted by Blue Wire Podcasts. Make sure you hit subscribe, please. We are new. We are brand new. I'm having a great time talking about the Miami Dolphins, looking into some bringing some guests on the show, talking about the dynamics of the AFC East, talking about the Dolphins specifically, their roster, strengths and weaknesses, what they should be looking for as they continue to build up the rebuild, aside of the obvious, the line of scrimmage. Uh, make sure you come back and see us again next week. Hit subscribe on Fin It to Win It. You can follow me and my works. I am on Twitter at Grinding the Tape and at DolphinsWire.USAToday.com. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Fin It to Win It. We'll be back again soon to give you another update on the Dolphins offseason and what they need to do going forward to really establish and solidify this rebuilding effort.